Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Remotely Effective, the show where we talk about working from home and in distributed teams. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Tony from Let's Travel Family, where we talk about what it is like being a digital nomad traveling both internationally and all over the United States with your family. With that, let's dive in. Tony, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so good to dive into this conversation today. So you traveled full-time with your family in an RV for, for two years, and then uh, pushed the pause button on that for a little while to do an extended international trip. But before we, we get into all of that, can you give us just a little bit of an overview on your background and uh, what type of work environment you had and home life before you decided to go out on this big adventure? Yeah, of course. Uh, prior to us deciding to hit the road full time, we just lived in a you know nice comfy suburb in uh, outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, you know, I had an office job at a, uh, a K twelve software hosting company. And my wife stayed home, and she homeschooled her four kids. So we, uh, yeah, we had the you know a pretty a pretty comfortable life. But we found it uh, the Minnesota winters to really get to us because they were so long, so drawn out, and with such little kids at the time, we found ourselves not being able to get outside a lot. So that's what kind of pushed us towards trying something new. So when the the topic of trying something new or possibly relocating came up, uh, what drew you to the idea of RV life over just relocating to a different area? Well, that's actually how the discussion started was we thought maybe we just wanted more sunshine. Uh, So we kind of made a list of different cities, you know, things, uh, places like, you know, maybe Denver or Phoenix or Austin. Texas, you know, based on job markets, housing prices at the time. Um, and then we wanted to be able to go see all those beforehand to kind of get a feel instead of just showing up somewhere and, you know, all of a sudden maybe you don't like it after six months or, your na- you know, you don't like your neighborhood. And so we were looking at ways to uh, cost effectively travel to all these places. And with four kids and two adults, uh, air, you know, airline fees are we're out of the question, just you know, yeah. flying, flying with six people, so expensive. So we looked into, oh, maybe we just rent an RV. Um, RV rentals can be cost effective, but for what we were looking to do, it probably would have been cheaper to charter an airplane. <laughs> so we're just like, <laughs> okay, maybe we just buy an RV. And then the more we started talking about it, maybe looking at, are we going to run into the same issue once we get to, you know, the new destination. You know, if we move to Phoenix, it's beautiful, it's sunny, but six months of the year, you can't go outside after 10 a.m., you know, or else you're going to yeah. get barbecued. <laughs> um, yeah, so we just started digging into it more and doing tons of research on the, uh, you know, on Google, looking on YouTube at all these different videos of RV tours and RV families, and it kind of just fell in our laps, like, okay, maybe we just buy an RV and just go travel for however long. So I spoke with the, um, the place I was working at at the time and, you know, brought up what we wanted to do. And they basically just said, good luck. <laughs> and so they, 
didn't make any effort to uh, keep me on, which was a little disappointing. I'd been there a while. Um, so I started looking at uh, fully remote positions, and um, that's how I ended up at uh, Platform.sh. So not only was this a a transition of lifestyle and living situations, but it was also a career change was necessary to facilitate all this as well. That's that's really a lot. So what kind of time frame are we talking about here from, let's say, uh, the points you start to consider the full-time RV thing to the point where you left your, your previous position? Sure. Um, we... Um, my wife and I are a little, um, I would say driven when we have a decision that we have decided on. Um, so it actually only took us three months from, <laughs> wow. <clears throat> yeah, it's not normal. Like I said, it's <laughs> so to the people out there looking at you don't have to do it in three months. Um, but no, we, uh, it was early February. Actually what triggered us was just the whole travel thing. We were, I was in Vegas for a conference for work. She came with, um, and we were walking around, you know, beautiful, sunny Vegas in February, mm-hmm. and we were bored. And, you know, you normally would think, you know, you're away from the kids, you know, it's like adults time to play. You're in the, you know, adult playground of the capital of the world. And we were just kind of uh, bored at that point. So we looked at each other and knew we wanted to change things up. And um, that's when the whole travel idea started. And how could we do the travel still make, you know, still make a living and all this. And so, yeah, three months later, we um, were out of our, our house we were renting in the RV and on the road. Wow. Wow. That is a big change in such a, a short period of time. So I'm curious more on the, 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 the personal side for yourself. Uh, are you someone that's at all gets, stressed out by a lot of logistics like that? Or do you kind of take it uh, as a nice challenge and it excites you? How did you manage all the the logistical stress that can come with moving and and acquiring an RV and changing jobs all right around the same time? Yeah, that was, uh, (laughs) again, this is, it's not a typical timeline. Most people do like, you know, fast for most people would be nine to 12 months, you know, maybe even two years, uh, to plan this all out, you know, you know, figure out what to do with the house and the kids and money and purchasing. But we, like I said, we were driven, we were motivated. Um, we had our four kids, we already homeschooled them. So that was a, you know, we didn't have to worry about pulling them out of school. We didn't have older kids, you know, especially when people have high schoolers, that's a huge time in their lives to all of a sudden uproot them. So in our case, kids had never uh, been in school. We just homeschooled already. We already had an adventurous spirit. And so we just kind of grabbed life by the horns and uh, turned it around. And yeah, so it helped. Um, I got some of my extended family actually owns an RV dealership. So we had looked at when we were looking at RVs, we were looking used, you know, versus new. Do we want a trailer versus a motorhome and all these things? And, um, you know, ended up talking with them and they gave, uh, you know, were able to help us out, get us into what we needed because we knew we wanted to be able to travel a little quicker without um, as much of a length restriction. So that's why we ended up choosing. We have a 33 foot class C RV 
you know, so a drivable, kind of typical motorhome when people think of a motorhome, you know, with the bed over the cab. And so that got, you know, once we got that figured out, um, you know, then it was during this whole time, I'm still looking for jobs, applying for jobs. A lot of companies out there at the time, this is back in, you know, early 2017, um, say they're, you know, remote friendly or remote ready or however they want to term it, you know, you apply, maybe do one or two interviews and come to find out they're remote friendly because they'll let you telecommute once a week. And so obviously being on the road, yeah, being on the road full time does not uh, work well with telecommuting once a week. So um, yeah, it wasn't until we found the the fit with platform and uh, yeah, again, the logistics. So yeah, not only, so we have the rental house, we have the four kids, we got the RV, um, job searching is still ongoing and, you know, everything just kind of clicked into place. So it's, it was a lot of hard work and, you know, a lot of dedication to uh, kind of the idea of it. So, but the kids did great. And that's what we've noticed through all this is how resilient kids can be. Yeah. 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 I did. Uh, I, my wife and I have, haven't gone quite as deep into the, the digital nomad, um, uh, uh I don't know how to phrase it. Like we, we haven't gone as far as you all have, but we did spend uh, roughly three months last year uh, traveling all, all on the East coast of the United States, not nothing too far, but we did learn that, that when it comes to schedules and sleeping arrangements and new places, they, uh, they being kids that is really are more flexible than we remember a lot of the times for sure. Very much so. Yeah. So had you ever even, uh, driven a motorhome prior to this experience? Um, no. <laughs> so that was the, that was the other fun part. We had owned a little pop-up camper, you know, it's when it's closed down, it's, you know, about 15 feet long. And so we'd tow that behind our minivan and, you know, we do weekend camping here and there. Uh, but once we had four kids, it just became uh, way too small. And so, yeah, we had never, never driven anything. I mean, I had driven like a, a rental truck, you know, like a U-Haul or something before, yeah. but never, but never, uh, you know, never a giant, you know, house on wheels, so to speak. So that was completely new. Wow. Wow. Definitely a lot of change, a lot of, or not necessarily change, but just new things, like lots of new things right around the time. And it's exciting in a lot of ways. Um, I think uh, it's easy to get stuck in our, our, our jobs and our living situation and the type of car we drive and all that stuff. And a lot of times we aren't willing to, to stick ourselves out there. Like, you know, yourself and your wife and your family have, and, and really try a different, different lifestyle. It's, it's definitely very, very interesting. So along this process of, of, uh, acquiring the RV and moving into it and getting a, uh, a new place of employment. What would you say was the the biggest point of challenge? If you can narrow it down to one of like, oh shoot, what did we get ourselves into? <laughs> that would probably I don't know. It's it's they change throughout time, but when we first started, it was just kind of the logistics of moving your house around. 
you know, how long do you stay somewhere? Um, what types of hookups are available? You know, so with an RV, you got the different holding tanks for your, you know, your fresh water, great water, black water, whatever. And so at first it was just kind of the nerve wracking idea of the legit, as far as like the RV logistics. So you get somewhere or, you know, you have to drive from point A to point B. What time do you get there? You got to get set up. Okay. It's probably during lunch or dinner. I'm trying to work. Maybe I'm not working at that point. Um, of the day and some working later. So definitely at first it was kind of the RV side uh, of the, of the logistics. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I hear all that and it, it, it sounds overwhelming to me and I'm not even, <clears throat> I'm not even participating. Uh, so I can only imagine. Um, so you're moved into the RV, you got a new job. What is step one that you had to take to actually start getting work done? Did you have a, a place in mind that you and your family were traveling to, to going to, to get a stay at for a period while you worked? Or did you stay in that same area at first? What was your action plan to actually start getting your work done after all these changes? Yeah, once we hit the road, um, by the time we had left our house, we had about the first, I think, five or six months worth of stops actually planned out. Um, maybe a couple small gaps in between, but we had a pretty good idea of where we wanted to go. Uh, we knew we were going west uh, from Minnesota. We wanted to go see some of the big national parks out west and to get into those or even get near them you got to book pretty early uh, so we had already booked a lot of the bookends as we call them you know for different places um, such as the black hills or grand teton um, yellowstone glacier national park up in montana and then moving over into the pacific northwest and then down the Pacific coast and then into the Southwest. And so we kind of had a, a general idea of directions we wanted to go. Like I said, we had a couple bookends um, for the major places, you know, like if you want to stay in or near Glacier National Park um, up in Whitefish County in Montana, you got to book that really in advance, uh, especially if you want to stay mm -hmm. in the actual national park itself. Uh, things just book up so quick. Other places you can be a little more flexible, um, show up if you're not as concerned that you're in a one particular campground or one particular spot. But yeah, so we definitely had a lot of ideas, um, at least the locations, you know, so point A to yeah. point B to point C. Yeah. And is that pretty typical for someone that may uh, be in a similar situation? Is that something y'all learn from uh, an, another uh, person traveling or another family? Or is that something that y'all took initiative on your own to do and plan out? We definitely, um, with the full-time travel, we learned it's up to the, the family dynamics. Uh, some families we've met, you know, they don't know where they're going next week. Others, they have 18 months lined up. So it's all about kind of, oh, it's, it, it varies widely, <laughs> wildly out there. Um, but yeah, so for, in our case, we had, because we didn't want to have to deal with the million and one things 
at first on top of, you know, also where are we sleeping in two weeks? Mm -hmm. So we, we were diligent and tried to get a lot of, a lot of stuff at least lined up ahead of time. Like I said, for those really busy places and then have rough ideas for kind of plan B's. And that really helped to keep us moving forward, at least for the first, uh, first six months. Wow. So what does research look like, uh, going into what places you're going to stay at both for the, let's say a little bit, touch a little bit on the, the, uh, motorhome side of things. And then also on the work side, what type of, uh, things do you need as a minimum to be able to work in a certain area versus, uh, just boondock or, or, you know, um, maybe take a holiday while also being in the, in the motorhome. Yeah, we, um, you know, over time kind of made a collection of apps. Um, there's a lot of different Facebook groups out there for RV travelers and specific to families as well. There's one called full-time families, you know, where it's literally just families that are full-timing, full-time RVing on the road, uh, good places to look there. There's different, uh, Websites as well, things like Campendium and All Stays, those are good resources as far as you can find reviews. Um, you combine that with some of the different apps. Like I said, one of them is called Coverage. It's a uh, pretty in, uh, high definition uh, cell coverage application. Uh, so you can really dig down and see which providers are available, um, as well as the Facebook groups, you know, full-time families, because a lot of the full-time families out there, at least one of the parents, if not both, are working still, and they do it remotely. So it's talking, you know, and digging through those posts and seeing, okay, we we stayed at this place because we wanted to see this, um, you know, landmark or whatever. So they had functional internet. They had these types of hookups. You know, it was this busy or it wasn't busy. So it was a, you know trying to build that up over time. But initially when we first launched, it was really just verifying uh, cell coverage and mm -hmm. then um, making sure also logistically that we could fit. So um, most like big RV parks or, you know, RV resorts don't really have a length limit of RVs normally. I mean, you can't pull there in a, you know, in a, a you know, two semi truck length. RV or anything <laughs> like that, but you know, a typical, they'll yes. handle up to 50, 50 foot RVs without issue. Uh, whereas other places such as a lot of national parks and some of these smaller national forest places, you can't get in there if you're over, let's say 35 feet total with your truck even. So it was finding those places again, logistically that we can get there. Um, you know, is there internet there? Can we work? And then what is there to do? You know, what is it we want to see around there and, is it, you know, a 10 minute drive or is it a two hour drive every time you want to go, let's say into a city or into the national park or into the forest, whatever you're there to visit. Wow. Yeah, definitely sounds like there's some great resources there, but also uh, takes a bit of planning up front for, for sure. And I will, uh, for all the listeners, I will be linking down in the show notes to a number of things I uh, just mentioned, like the, the Facebook groups and the apps and stuff like that. So for, uh, 
links and show notes for the, that stuff later. Um, and on the internet uh, topic, you mentioned uh, the application to check cell coverage for a given area. After you know what the cell coverage is for the area you're going to be traveling to, what is your strategy for actually getting internet there uh, via cell signal? Um, I can condense it since we don't have two hours for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Basically just a verifying that there was coverage for one of the carriers we had. Um, So we had both an AT&T and a Verizon hotspot. Uh, We chose those two because they're, they have the biggest footprint across the U S. So really it was a verifying that there is at least potential signal you know, because there's a lot of places, you, mm-hmm. especially once you get out west, there's just, it doesn't matter how good equipment you have, there's just no signal anywhere. So, yeah, so I imagine, especially when you're in uh, lots of um, mountain areas where there's uh, lots of different elevations and stuff, that there's a lot of holes that you run into. Oh, Is big that time, what, yeah. What so, yeah, it'd usually yeah. be. Yeah, so we would, uh, you know, like I said, do the research, make sure there's at least A, coverage, and then B, checking out some of the different resources, like I said, Campendium or the different Facebook groups. Um, there's another site, rvmobileinternet.com. They're, uh, they used to work in the cellular industry for like 20 years and then hit the road, so they brought all their knowledge of how things work um, kind of to the RV world. And so just really a giant conglomeration of things. And then you get there and you get set up and you turn on the hotspots and run some speed tests. And sometimes it's just as simple as turning on the hotspot and you got good signal, you know, good upload and download that kind of stuff. Other times, um, like I said, the podcast, we don't have a couple hours to go into, but <laughs> it's a combination <laughs> of uh, lots of antennas, boosters, amplifiers, you know, directional antennas or omnidirectional. So, um, and then nice, nice. And yeah. And so then plan um, B becomes, uh, where do you actually go work if, you know, plan A doesn't work out with working at the RV. So then, you know, also seeing is there, you know, a low spot in the camp area where you're at, maybe you can get closer to a tower or do you have to drive into town or to like the visitor center? Um, so yeah, just definitely being flexible and okay with having plans, A, B, C, D, and all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can, I can imagine, I can imagine. And, uh, also for the listeners, there is a, a great video on the let's travel family YouTube channel that covers some of these things a little bit more in depth, getting into the hardware and all that stuff that Tony's talking about on their uh, YouTube channel. That's Let's Let's Travel Family, and I'll uh, have a link to that video down in the show notes for your later reference. So when it comes to actually getting the work done, you've, you've settled all the logistics out. You've got internet, you've, you've got all the hookups you need for your RV. Do you have uh, a specific type of approach? Let's say day one, you're in a new area. Do you have an area of your motorhome you go to to work at? Do you try and find a place outside to uh, get outside the motorhome and to work? What, uh, what's your approach there? A short answer, yes. <laughs> 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 because it's... Uh, 
everywhere you go, it would be a little different. Um, some places, if you're in, let's say, a rainier climate, you know you got to be in the RV uh, more often or out underneath the awning at least. Or if it's hot out, you know, stay in the RV with air conditioning on. Or if there's no cell signal, you got to go to the visitor center or even into town. Um, are the kids and the wife, you know, are they home that day? Are they out exploring a mm-hmm. national park or in a city, you know, going to children's museums? You know, so do I have the whole RV to myself to work at the, let's say, kitchen table with versus working in the back bedroom? Um, actually came up with a couple you get those little height adjustable folding tables um, and I would set up basically a standing desk inside the RV or work at the kitchen table, you know, or set up the tables outside and then have an outdoor standing desk or work at a picnic table. And yeah, so that's just working, let's say at the RV other times it becomes, I want to go and actually explore with them and let's say, see the, you know, the city they're going into or the parks they're going into. So then it's bringing the laptop and the hotspots and figuring out where to get set up. You know, am I hanging out at the van at the trailhead? Am I sitting in the visitor center at the national park? You know, am I on the beach working? Am I on a mountain working? So there's, yeah, it would, uh, yeah, like I said, it's, uh, it's, it's very diverse as far as what you allow yourself to work or call work. So, yeah. (laughs) So what would you say, is one place that stands out in your mind over these last few years of traveling that you've sat down with your laptop and, and gotten work done? What's, what's something that stands out as unique or, or maybe, you know, uh, uh, beautiful in a certain way, if I can, you know, characterize, characterize as that, which kind of sounds, maybe sounds strange when we're talking about sitting at a laptop, but why not? Why not get our work done in places that are also enjoyable to be in? Well, what's, what's a place that stands out for you? Oh man, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, being so many places over the past uh, about three years here now. Um, yeah, let's see. I one really sticks out. It was uh, Avila Beach and kind of the central coast of California. Um, we were staying at a, a small campground. There was a match for event uh, amenities there. You know, like a pool and playground and stuff for the kids, but. We were only a two mile bike ride to the beach and um, I biked one day up to the beach and they had a, you know, they had a nice boardwalk with all the shops and stuff. And I just sat there at a coffee shop with my hotspot. And I remember, you know, just sitting there talking with the owner. And then also when I turned my hotspot on, did a speed test and had a hundred megabits down, (laughs) which for those of you at home, if you ever ran a speed test on a cell phone, you're usually lucky to get like 10 or 20 maybe yeah. 50 depending on the area you're in, but yeah, to see a hundred megabits down. And so I'm sitting there at this little coffee shop on the boardwalk in Avila beach, drinking coffee, chatting with the owner working. And then I look out on the ocean and there's pods of dolphins. And then I saw some uh, whales breach and yeah, mm. you know, that kind of stuff really sticks with you. <laughs> yeah. Even just the thought uh, brings a smile to my face. I, I, I definitely love the coast, love visiting there. And, uh, yeah, that definitely, I mean, yeah, it just sounds amazing. And I think is the, it's a good way to summarize it. Is there another one that, that stands out to you? I, I know I, I said only one, but I'd, I'd like to hear some more stories if you don't mind sharing one or two others. 
Sure. Um, we spent some time in um, St. Augustine, Florida, about a month. We had to have the RV worked on, so we actually took a month out of the RV um, while I was at the dealership and got a um, just a, a rental house on the beach. And, um, you know, going out there because it was just you just walked across the dune um, on the little walkway and you were on the beach. And so we'd be out there all day, every day. This was December-ish. Um, so it was fairly warm, but yeah, just sitting there in a little, you know, beach chair, headphones on, laptop out, uh, working, you know, with the ocean right there. Um, another one that sticks out is we were up in Acadia National Park in Maine. Um, and then we, we hiked up or did the uh, Cadillac Mountain hike. And so we hiked up, you know, went up to the top of Cadillac Mountain uh, and I actually had my backpack with and laptop. And I worked up there for probably, you know, almost a half hour while the kids kind of explored around, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah. And then, you know, going overseas, you know, being in Bali, Indonesia and working at, uh, you know, we didn't have the best internet directly at the uh, villa we're staying at. So sometimes I'd go into town and just work on these little, uh, you know, little coffee shop or um, war on they're called, you know, just a little basically food stand and just sit there with my uh, hotspot on my phone and, you know, bust out the laptop and just watch the absolute chaos that is Bali kind of flow by <laughs> you know so yeah it's hard to it's hard to pin down because there's so many beautiful yeah yeah totally areas. yes i can i i'm sure that there are many other stories that, that we could dive into um, from even just from the united states and we'll get into the bali side of things uh here in a bit because i definitely want to hear about uh, that side of stuff um, but before we get there, uh, I'm curious, how do you plan your travel days around your work? So you're in an area and you have the next area planned out on the schedule, like you mentioned earlier, that you, you have to get to. How do you actually plan and execute that travel while also needing to work full time? Oh, so that's a good one. Um, a lot of the times it would one of the biggest deciding factors is where are we going next? Is it a, you know, is it a 200 mile drive or is it a 600 mile drive? And that would kind of determine how I would plan my work day. Um, am I on call being in the operations group? You know, we have a rotating on call schedule. Um, so if I'm going on call, let's say at noon that day, um, we'd have to get all of our travel done before I hit the on call time. Mm -hmm. You know, I have meetings I have to hit. So if it's a participatory meeting, you know, like a scrum or something, I can do that while driving, you know, with a hands-free headset in. Um, but if it's something I have to actually, you know, interact with and, you know, drive or something, then it's okay, you know, plan accordingly. And if it's a long travel day, then we do stops, um, not only for bathroom breaks <laughs> with little kids, because that's... Uh, you know, that's a requirement every, when you first start out, it feels like you're stopping every 20 minutes, <laughs> <laughs> which if you're, if you're on an interstate, it isn't so bad, but to get to some of these far off places, you get off the interstate and, you know, you might not see a gas station for 30 miles or even somewhere to pull, pull off. Oh, road. wow. So always an adventure. But so we'd also, if we had a really, really long travel days or bunch of meetings or different stuff we try and stagger our stops you know as far as like for gas or for lunch 
uh, bathroom break, stuff like that. So it would coincide, like I said, with a meeting or if I had to get a little work done, you know, if we had only a 200 mile travel day, maybe we go halfway and then I work for a few hours while, you know, the family goes in and does some grocery shopping at a grocery store. And I just sit out in the RV and get work done while they're grocery yeah. shopping. And then, and then we eat lunch and then we get back on the road and, you know, being a, a salary position, it's like you just have a certain amount of work you need to get done every day to be productive, meet deadlines. So, you know, some days it'd be, you know, shorter working days, um, you know, consecutively, but they'd be stretched out over, you know, 12 or 14 hours. And, yeah. And that kind of thing. But yeah, having a, just being a with platform, they've been so accommodating and so welcoming to, you know, bringing all you know, everybody's adventures along with them. So that's been very helpful. Yes. Yes. It is great to, to have a position at a, a such a remote friendly company that also is, uh, accommodates to people's time zones and schedules, uh, really, really well, really well, I think. And, and gets, gets the job done while doing it. Um, yep. for sure. So now, I'd like to uh, to touch on uh, the Bali trip a little bit. Uh, so you've been traveling for, um, or at the time that you opted to go to uh, Indonesia, I believe around two years you'd been traveling full-time in the RV. Is that correct? Is that a good time, rough time frame at least? Yep. Yeah, we had been in uh, uh, just over two years and uh, met up some of our new friends and they had talked about... Uh, you know, different travels they've done. So this one family we had uh, become friends with, they've been full-timing now for over 10 years throughout the world. And, you know, whether that be RV in the U.S. or going to uh, Europe, to Southeast Asia, or wherever. Um, so just being around those kind of people, getting the adventurous spirit, you know, we looked at it as... Um, it was something we had wanted to do from the get-go, but trying to plan the logistics around four kids. Um, at the time it would have been eight and under to do international travel. We just took that as a challenge. We didn't want to <laughs> burden ourselves with right away. <laughs> so that's where the RV thing came into play as well. But then once we got comfortable with the RV stuff, we started looking. Um, and like I said, meeting these different families and all of a sudden we start talking to them and they're talking about this conference over in Bali, Indonesia that they were going to be going to. And we figured why not have a family oriented, a world, like a world schooling, world traveling family oriented event we could use as our jump point instead of just kind of picking somewhere on a map and going there and, you know, seeing the sites, this would get us connected with the community um, abroad. So we chose to, uh, to attend it. It was called the, uh, the family adventure summit and it was being held in October in Bali, Indonesia last year. And so, yeah, we, we talked about it, um, throughout the whole time as well. And the background, as we're doing all this traveling, um, we're using credit cards. So things like chase for their ultimate rewards or Amex as their rewards points as well. But, you know, anytime you're filling up with gas, Anytime you're paying for um, RV campsites, groceries, pretty much anything, uh, not only A, is it safer financially, 
to just use a credit card. That way, if you run into any fraud issues, um, they're essentially, you know, if they're trying to defraud somebody, they're not taking cash directly out of your debit card. You know, it's going against Chase or American Express so they can deal with things a lot swifter. Um, so we accumulated quite a bit of points um, through Chase and American Express and were able to actually purchase all six airline tickets just off of points. Wow. Wow. And I can imagine that uh, with traveling full-time in the RV that uh, a, a lot of gas, a lot of, a lot of gas gets, gets used up and refilling at the pump. Um, so that's, that's really cool that you were able to work it out that, that way. Um, can you talk a little bit about that conference? Like what's is, uh, what's the schedule and, and topics of something like that? Of course. Yeah, it was, uh, this was their, I think third year trying this. And so some of the topics, uh, kind of went around just like world schooling, how to make money on the road, um, your travel safety, um, anything else from, let's say, you know, traveling with children with disabilities to, um, yeah, there's just a, a, and then a lot of, uh, kind of open panel discussions as well from people that have been uh, full-time traveling for 10 plus years, you know, all the way down to, to newbies like us, but just participating and, you know, getting around like-minded people. And it was really great. They had it set up so that there was actually kids activities throughout the day, you know, cause we're all traveling. It's not like we have grandparents or, you know, different people you can drop the kids off with or get a babysitter when you're in the middle of, country XYZ. So they actually had a lot of um, age group based activities. So let's say five and under was think of it more like a daycare, Um, you know, a lot of like finger painting and, you know, music and games and stuff like that. Then they had more of a, you know, the, the elementary school age up to 10 and they're doing group activities. Um, Then they have like more of a teen group. Um, and the teen group not only helps run um, their group, but they're also helping with the younger kids as well. So kind of leading activities, um, community-based things based on wherever the conference was. In this case, it was Bali. So getting involved with the local culture and community there um, so that the parents can actually um, get something out of the conference. So you're not having to worry about yeah. you, have, you have your kids on your lap and hear somebody talking about, you know, the best way to find good cheap airfare to go to the Middle East during the fall or something like that, where it's like, you really, you know, that's part of your destination and you really want to learn this, but your kids that are pulling at your shirt, um, nobody had to worry about that because this was all folded in and planned out well. And the logistics of the team for the family adventure summit were absolutely amazing. Yeah. Things were planned out, ready to go. You know, like I said, with the, keeping the kids engaged, I think they probably got more out of it than we did. Not in a bad way, just they got so much out of it to meet all these kids from around the world, different backgrounds, nationalities, languages, ethnicities, that all world travel and all meet up in, you know, a random country. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have these connections you've made for the rest of your life that you can, you know, keep up and keep going. And we still keep in contact with so many people. Um, whether they, you know, come back to the U S they're in Europe, they're in 
Asia, wherever, South America, Central America. So it's it's pretty amazing to kind of grow your community. And that's what we that was one of our other goals too, was not just to really go and see a place, not just like, okay, I'm gonna go get my Instagram selfie at the rice terraces in Bali, which funny story, you actually go there, you wait about two to three hours in line. Um, and they have like a wardrobe setting and then they have a little uh, backgrounds you can use. So the people actually made a, um, an industry out of this, the locals did because so many uh, people that come and travel, yes, they come to, they come to Bali. They want their, either their rice terrace selfie, um, or they want to go to the water temples. And so, yeah, it's, you drive by these things and there's lines of people, you know, and you can go up there and the girls can get their little flowy dress or the guys can get their little, you know, kind of white, uh, you know, linen button down shirt and the lighting and, you know, you got the rice terraces in the background and the locals oh, my word. and they charge a fee. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty funny to, to see that kind of stuff. So that's not what we were looking for in our travel. We wanted to, to grow yeah. ourselves and also become part of a, something bigger than us, kind of that community out there. Yeah, it definitely sounds like an incredible experience. Um, and one I'm sure that you're you're not only yourselves but your kids won't won't forget as well. I mean, with all these connections and just um, as you said, different cultures and uh, that that you know it rubs off on us in ways that I think we don't realize a lot of times. So definitely sounds like an, an incredible deal. And I will link to that uh, down in the show notes as well. Again, for anyone listening. Um, so in addition to the conference, there, Tony. Can you talk a, a little bit about what it was like first being in uh, a Bali? I'll say a, as a Westerner myself, uh, the whole uh, experience seems like it would be a little intimidating at first. The culture uh, from what I've seen and heard is just, it's, it's, it's great in so many ways, but very different than the day-to-day life in, in North America or even, I'll say, Europe. Uh, what was that like for you and your family when you first uh, first got there? <laughs> uh, it was, uh, yeah, how, how do you say, yeah, the shocking level of it. Um, just a just completely removing you from your comfort zone of everything you thought you knew and that you've known and just kind of turning it on its head um so for instance like the first place we stayed uh, the internet wasn't the greatest and we didn't have a um, it was more like a, a communal villa area so there were it was like outdoor hotel rooms almost um, but there wasn't a kitchen. And so we were used to being in the RV, no matter where we are, we always have our kitchen, you know, we can always go to a grocery store. So now all of a sudden we're somewhere that doesn't have, you know, there's, there's no normal Western grocery stores for the most part. You know, there's a, a few markets, um, you know, there's fresh markets, there's wet markets, um, a lot of convenience stores over there. So you're going to see a lot of 7-Eleven, depending on the country you're in, um, Alpha Marts, and just all these different types of little, you know, think of like in the U.S., like convenience stores or gas stations. And that's all a lot of people um, will survive. So you have that for your quote-unquote food, um, or you start to visit all the restaurants, and so you have restaurants ranging from a warong, like I said, they're 
it's like a, basically just a, a little side road stand uh, where they're cooking up anything from, you know, fish, noodles, chicken, um, different local dishes, stuff like that, all the way to more Western styled uh, restaurants. You know, we actually found in Bali, there's this incredible, um, uh, incredible place called Taco Casa. And it's just, you know, that's one thing like uh, Southeast <laughs> Asia, especially you, you don't find Mexican food. It's not, it's not like being in the U S you know, where you can find Mexican food everywhere. So being able to find like some of those little connections to home, but at the same time, still being adventurous, trying the local dishes, you know, kind of trying to feel what the locals feel on their day-to-day basis. Um, and I think the biggest thing that probably struck me right away was, you know, kind of the immediacy of life there. It's a lot more day-to-day. In the U.S., we're always thinking, we're planning, we're looking ahead. Okay, and my five-year plan is this. This is my 401k. Uh, you know, kids will graduate in 10 years, and then we better get college fund and you get over to places like Indonesia, places, uh, parts of Malaysia, Thailand, stuff like that. It's a lot more day to day. There's a lot of people where they're working or they're picking their food that they're going to sell so that they can eat that day. So it, that was probably one of the biggest shockers just to see, see those kinds of things up close and right there. And how did that impact you after you'd been there for a few days and a, and a few weeks? And, and uh, actually, before you answer that, how long were you all in Southeast Asia for again? Uh, we were over there for about five months. Yeah, we left in September and okay. got back okay. uh, state stateside in February. So after you'd been there for a little while, did you feel like some of that started to impact how you looked at your day-to-days and how you scheduled your day at all? And is there anything from that experience that you carried with you when you came back home to the United States? Oh, completely. Yeah, it definitely definitely changed all of us. yeah, just work planning. So when I was in over, when we were over in Southeast Asia, the time difference between there and the U.S. is anywhere from twelve to let's say fifteen hours ahead of the central central time in the U.S. So I knew working U.S. hours wasn't going to work. Um, and again, working for platform, amazing flexibility. Big props to everybody. Um, I actually switched over to the EU team. Uh, for operations and worked EU hours, but still being um, six to eight hours ahead of the EU uh, being in Southeast Asia. So I would actually work more um, kind of early night, um, or I should say late afternoon into the night, um, because being on the equator, the sun is basically 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And it doesn't matter what season, what day, it's usually, it's, you know, it's clockwork because of the, you know, the location. So uh, we got it set up so that my work hours, uh, or I should say my work, my off work hours were during the day. So we'd always have the mornings and most of the early afternoons, we could actually be outside in the sunshine, exploring or just living and being together. And then nighttime would roll around and I would start working and usually work till around, you know, anywhere from like midnight to sometimes two or three in the morning if I was on call over there. So it was, 
Mm-hmm. And that's just, again, again, that's just the work side of it. Like getting set up, you know, how do I find internet? Where am I working? Um, to other things that really stuck with, like, again, things we don't think about in the U S is clean drinking water. We take it for granted. We want our fancy, you know, bottled water from the store, whether it's, you know, artesian or uh, spring water versus, you know, just filtered water and all these. And over there, again, the immediacy of life, people are going to buy the water they need at that moment because they can't drink out of the faucets if they even have running water. And if they have water nearby, is it contaminated? You know, is it used for anything from laundry to restroom facilities to helping to feed the animals, different stuff like that. So it's very, you know, again, things you we don't think about here. Again, just like water, like going to a faucet, pouring yourself a cup of water. Most Americans would abhor that idea. It's like, I want it out of the fridge. I want it cold. I want, you know, my special, <laughs> you know, bottle of water, whatever brand I like. And it's like over there, they're just like, you know, they get their Rupia, they get their, their Thai bot, they get their, um, you know, whatever currency that they get from working or that they save from the day before so that they can go buy, you know, a liter of water or they're, you know, paying for water service. So every couple of days they get a new, um, you know, new jug of water brought to their house and that's what they have to use. And so that was, that still stuck with us, especially connecting it back to the whole RV thing. You know, when you're in an RV and you're out boondocking, you're responsible for your water. So it really kind of connected the dots like, okay, I can see how this goes. Yeah. Yeah. What, what an incredible experience firsthand to see how a lot of people in the world still live every day and it's easy to forget in America or, or I'd say most other Western countries, um, even, um, and it's, it's different to actually see it and experience it than just hear statistics about, you know, different water supplies and water of clean water availability across different countries. Um, yeah, it definitely sounds like something that would have a real big impact for sure. Um, so on the internet side of things, uh, which is kind of an odd pivot from something as basic as water. How did you get, uh, get internet over there? Uh, so for each country we went to, we ended up just buying uh, local SIM cards and would just add data. So essentially in places like, um, or pretty much anywhere we went, um, you get to Indonesia, you can purchase, they have uh, three or four cell carriers based on where you're staying. Um, and then you can buy various levels of data packages. Um, so a lot of people, um, so that's the thing, once you get over there, everybody lives on WhatsApp. You know, the U.S. isn't as big, but especially Southeast Asia, everybody's on WhatsApp. So you don't need, like, minutes on your cell phone necessarily. You don't need talk time. You need data. So everybody's on WhatsApp, and everybody's streaming all the time. So uh, data packages are easy to come by, and so you just uh, purchase a top-up at either, you know, a a Warung, you know, like I said, the little roadside shops, um, or the convenience stores, 7-Eleven, Alpha Mart these different kinds of places. Mm -hmm. Um, 
or if you get tech savvy enough, you can figure out how to use their actual apps. Um, but one thing, one hard thing we found was getting the ability to like use a credit or debit card to top up while you're overseas. Um, a lot of issues with that. So it, it was a lot of, especially in Bali um, and Lombok, Indonesia, it was a lot of cash. So we just go to a cash machine, you know, get out whatever type of, how much currency we need for the day, you know, to eat, to go on top of the internet every couple of weeks if we needed to. Um, and then just making sure that, you know, between the wife and I, we always have kind of different carriers depending on where we are so we can get better speeds. And um, so we didn't have our actual like normal hotspot, but we just use the phone as a hotspot and work off those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that e- even that, in it, even though it's cell signal like we have in the states, uh, it sounds like a, quite a different experience than just how things work here. Um, wow, yeah, very very different, and, and sounds like uh, I keep I keep saying that it sounds like it was a really good experience, but I, it's because I really do mean it. Um, yeah, it definitely sounds like yeah. Yeah. Um, so you'd been in, uh, Southeast Asia for five months and then you decided to, uh, make the trip back home to the United States. Uh, we don't have to dive in necessarily to what life was like back when you got, cause I imagine that that's a whole story in itself, but I'm curious just about the travel logistics of a flight that long uh, with a family of four kids and two adults. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah the tra- the travel logistics. That's a whole another ball game. I mean, it's one thing to have your house with you and you know pull over whenever you want using the same currency you know, having the same cell phone providers, stuff like that. But yeah, when it comes time to the air travel and especially relocating back here or getting there, um, our first, our travel day over to there was close to 50 hours between the, the the layovers, the changes, you know, transportation start to finish. So yeah, that was incredible. And then, yeah, coming back, um, we left Thailand uh, connected in Tokyo for three days and then flew from Tokyo to Detroit and then from Detroit to Denver, which is where the RV was stored. And that's where we actually flew out. Uh, we flew out of Minnesota originally to go overseas, but, uh, the RV was in storage in Denver and then, yeah, making all those connections. But yeah, um, yeah, Japan to Detroit was, supposed to be 14 hours we got a good tailwind so it was about 11 and a half which was nice but yeah those long flights with the kids again they're so flexible and resilient it's adults are babies you know we're the ones like getting stressed (laughs) and you know especially it was really nice because we had delta um flying from japan back to the u.s so they got in they got the in-seat entertainment they have snacks on board uh, the flight crews were super helpful with the kids. You know, the kids all had either earbuds or noise canceling headphones that they, you know, had saved up money for. They had their iPads, uh, coloring books, 
and really just, you know, each kid could then find their own uh, kind of niche and what works for them. Like my son just loved the fact that he could just sit there and watch movies nonstop. You know, so he would forego, he would even forego sleep sometimes and, you know, watch movies. Whereas, uh, you know, my older couple of daughters, you know, they would sleep at the drop of a hat. And then the youngest one, she would fight the sleep because she wants to, you know, watch a movie with her brother or go back and grab another little baggie of crackers, you know, from the, from the flight crew. And so, yeah, yeah just really, and then of course, bathroom, and then of course, bathroom every you know, 20 minutes, just like when you're in the RV. Yep. So it was, you know, but yeah, just keeping them, uh, I would say involved, you know, just giving them not, not that they have to purchase the tickets and, you know, figure out how to work through customs, but just giving them an idea of, you know, flights where we're seating. Um, are we bringing bags on? Are we checking bags, you know, choosing your seat, changing your seat if you want a window this time if you want to swap with your sibling and get an aisle seat you know just not try not to sweat the small stuff you know let a lot of that stuff go it's like okay sure you can have some soda you can have some gum (laughs) you know just like you know not but allowing them to make those choices and so when we first started doing the air travel we let them kind of go pick out some candy and treats in the different uh, airport stores and they quickly figured out you don't want a belly full of sugar as you're going up and down in an airplane or if you had turbulence. So allowing them to really experience that and come to those conclusions that just because they're going to give you unlimited cookies doesn't mean you want to take them because that will affect you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely good learning experiences for sure. Ones that I myself have been through. Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I feel like we could, we could keep going and I'm sure you have a, a huge list of stories between your, your travels full time in the United States and, and overseas. But I think that's a good place to just, you know, tie a bow on, on, I'll say, you know, this segment of your journey. Um, where can people find you online, Tony? Yeah, so that is letstravelfamily.com. And then on all the social nets, Let's Travel Family, or, you know, YouTube, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, you know, Friendster, MySpace, wherever. (laughs) They're all out there. The (laughs) wife is, uh, she's a diehard travel blogger and embraced that. And she really helped to, you know, big big credit to her is because she's documenting this not only for the blog, but it's like a journal for our family, you know, doing the, especially yeah. YouTube videos, being, being able to have the drive to keep those going. Not that we're making money off YouTube, but just the fact we have those to go back to because, you know, anytime you take in road trips or vacations, it's like you have your couple of pictures your couple of memories and it's like they start to fade or they shift after a while. It's like with this, we can go back and see all these different journeys documented because of what she did. So, you know, like I said, big, big ups to her. Really valuable to have those, those memories forever. And I will give a link down in the show notes to all those socials and let's travel family 
Dot-com, as well as a number of other things we mentioned in this episode. You can find me on Twitter at TLattimore and ThomasLattimore.com. Thanks to you all for listening to this episode of Remotely Effective, and I will talk to you all next time. <laughs>